0: Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord for The Awakening in America, and outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library. Hey friends, the weeks have passed quickly as we have taken this journey through Psalms together. Our names are Walt and Brenda McCord, and thank you for joining us. When do you praise the Lord? Do you have a specific place, time, and plan for your prayer time, your quiet time with the Lord? Well, here's my true confession. There have been times when praise or prayer haven't been priorities in my spiritual disciplines. And to be honest, I didn't praise Him with my whole heart. I didn't pray with a boldness and a genuine faith, believing He would answer. And maybe you can relate to some parts of my true confession, but here's a word of encouragement for each of us. God sees our weaknesses. He knows our frailty, and He is very gracious. He is patient and merciful. He calls us back to Himself, and He wants us to faithfully walk with God. Well, today, we are going to look at Psalm 85. You know, this psalm is attributed to the sons of Korah. These sons of Korah were Levites from the family of Kohath, and by the time of King David's reign, they primarily served in the musical aspect of temple worship. The date of this particular psalm is unknown, and it could actually fit into several different settings throughout Israel's history, so we're not going to camp on the date. The theme of this psalm points us toward revival and renewal. And I have to say, as Walt and I have studied the psalm together over the past few days, it seems so very appropriate for the world we live in today. We need some renewal. We need some revival. So open your Bibles and listen as we begin in Psalm 85, verses 1 and 3.
1: And as we turn to the text and begin to read it, I want you to listen for six positive statements that are in these three verses that should encourage us and that should help us learn more about what God is worthy of our praise. Why? Why is he? Why should we praise him? Well, verse 1 starts off with this. O Lord, you showed favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Selah. Rest. Think about that. You withdrew all your fury you turned away from your burning anger and as we read through the first verse has you showed favor to your land you restored the fortunes of Jacob or, or Israel and that whole idea of God showing his favor that's God showing his grace that's his kindness and restoring the fortunes of, of Jacob of Israel bringing them back into existence that that's why the setting is probably uh, after one of the great defeats and and this aspect of of them feeling like we need to come back to God we need to get back right with God verse 2 you forgave the guilt of your people and you covered all their sin um, i love this phrase and really this is an old testament phrase of of forgiving guilt and and covering all their sin. Um, Because um, this whole idea of covering or an atonement for sin, um, in the Old Testament they had to do it over and over every year, repeatedly. They had to come up and a representative from each family had, had to sacrifice an animal. And then especially on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, they had to make sacrifices for the whole nation. And God covers their sin for a time period. But then the next year they've got to come back. And that's why I love in the book of Hebrews that that, um, the writer of Hebrews points out that that's what we've had to do over and over and over again. But Jesus died once for all. His sacrifice was sufficient for the whole world. And the aspect of even Selah here says, stop, think about this. Think about that God forgave your guilt. Hmm. Think about it, that God covered all your sin. Hmm. And this isn't just a temporary thing that we have to do it over and over. This is now a permanent thing because of the greater sacrifice, not of rams or goats or turtle doves, but of God's eternal Son. And then this section concludes with, you withdraw all your fury. You turned away from your burning anger. And it's interesting, even as we're, we're teaching this today, um, today I taught in in our Sunday school class on um, Deuteronomy verse uh, chapter 9. And it's a recounting of the story of Exodus 32 and following. And, and it recounts Israel's history and their, their return to pagan worship at Mount Sinai when, while Moses is up getting the the Ten Commandments of the Lord. The people are down and they're saying, ah, I don't think he's coming back. Well, we better make our own God. And and so this this uh, pagan turning away from the Lord there at Mount Sinai, and then the end of of chapter nine talks about Israel's disobedience to go in and take possession of the land at Kadesh Barnea. Remember the ten, uh, there are ten folks that go up into the land. There's ten spies, and they say, no, I mean it's a good land, it's a good land, but it is just full of of giants, and the walls go up to the heavens. But then two, Joshua and Caleb. Two said no we've definitely got to go in because god's given it to us but the nation goes on the the advice of the the ten and because of that a whole generation dies in the wilderness just that reminder um, of there is a time when as we turn away from the lord god's fury is is kindled but as we return to him um, his burning anger can be satiated
0: and as you've shared those six statements, those six positive statements, we've seen this throughout the Psalms over these past weeks, God through his written word often returns to his mighty acts, those things yeah. that he did earlier in the Old Testament scriptures in the Hebrew scriptures and so these three verses are praise for what God has done and now we move into this prayer for restoration you alluded Walt just now to the fact that it seems to be a time when the people are coming back perhaps have been in some type of a ca- captivity or they've been um, put down by a greater force army over them but now they're coming Coming back and they're saying, we want to live differently. We want to live. And so we move into these next verses, four through seven, and we see a prayer for restoration. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your ign- indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations Will you not yourself revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation." I mean, what a great prayer as you you read through that, just saying, Lord, restore us, bring us back to those days of our salvation, and your indignation toward us, would it cease Will you be angry forever? Will your anger go to all generations? Those questions, those, those pleading questions coming before God. I love six. Will you not revive us again? What? That your people may rejoice in you. Lord, revive us. Bring us back to our salvation. Let your anger cease toward us so that we can rejoice in you. And these closing thoughts here are a true revival, the idea that as they're praying for a revival to come upon them, we know that it originates with God, and so we can come before him.
1: Yeah, and even as we come before him, I was just thinking, listening to this, it reminds me of Psalm 51, which is a psalm of David in confession and repentance and brokenness before the Lord because of his sin with Bathsheba, and his murder of Uriah the Hittite, her husband. And David in Psalm 51 verse 12 and 13 says this, it's it's a wonderful verse, restore to me the joy of your salvation Hmm. and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. And I love this, the the aspect of us needing restored. And by the way, We can eternally be restored, but we still also need, when we sin, when we mess up, we've got to uh, once more time, our hands need to be washed, because as we go through this this world, we need to be restored repeatedly.
0: And this is such a great psalm in 51 as david has been confronted by the prophet nathan and he comes before the lord and he says against you you only have i sinned and that's that whole idea that david was a man after god's own heart and yet he sinned my i mean it was a great sin and we look at it and say there's no hope for him but these verses four through seven restore to us Bring us back. Revive us. We want to rejoice in you. And as we say, show us your mercy, Lord. Grant us your salvation. In verse 7, his unfailing love, this is an act of God's mercy. It's not earned or deserved. Um, and we see in Jonah two nine it says, But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. And in this spirit, as we come to
1: the Lord with praise and we offer fervent prayer to Him, um, prayers that remind us that we need restoration, that we need revival, that we need God's mercy and His gracious gift of salvation. Now we ask the question, well, well then what is my response? What, how do I participate in this? And this whole idea of participating in God's salvation and blessing is is caught up in the next four verses. And I'm reading from um, beginning in verse 8, I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in the land. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth springs from the earth, and righteousness looks down for the heavens. And these verses are just full of great truths. But, but listening to God say, as he speaks peace to his people, to his godly ones, um, they may not turn their back to foolishness, but instead experience God's peace. Um, this verse expresses surrender and submission. And the psalmist says confidence. When when I'm standing before God in surrender and submission, I'm confident that I will taste your goodness, that you will speak peace to your humble surrendered children and then in verse 9, certainly a salvation is near to those who fear Him. that glory may dwell in our land. These humble and surrendered people um, really get to enjoy his salvation and also his glory, mm-hmm. um, that glory might dwell among us. And this whole aspect, especially in the Old Testament, of the glory of God, often associated with the bright, flaming glow of his Shekinah glory. This whole aspect is now the glory's not in a box or in a temple, but now the glory can be inside of us because the Spirit of God resides inside of us. And and we can be um, symbols. We can show others the glory of God. And then verse 10, I love this. Graciousness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And this aspect of grace and truth working together to to sh- secure our salvation, this reminds me. Just um, John in his gospel repeatedly says Jesus was full of grace and truth, and then he goes on to say your loving kindness. Um, I, I love that phrase, and that's Hesed, God's covenant-keeping, loyal love. And I, as we consider about this, God's um, the word says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John one fourteen, and then this righteousness that that um, my unrighteousness would condemn me and prevent me from experiencing God peace. However, God's righteousness and his mercy, his grace, and his truth, when they come together, they kiss, and they are best friends. They they give me an opportunity to stand before him, declared in right standing. And finally, verse 11, truth sprouts out from the earth and righteousness looks down for heaven. These verses talk about almost like grain growing from the earth and it's sprouting up, that God, when he pours forth his truth and his righteousness, it's almost like rain, and we should expect the blessing of a harvest. And that's what this verse really is speaking about, that these people would have understood that the whole idea of, of truth sprouting up and an and aspect of that coming from heaven, that would have comforted these people.
0: And as we've covered in this chapter of Psalm 85, our words of praise, those six positive statements that we reviewed, and then we looked at our prayer coming before the Lord, praying for restoration that His anger, His fury would cease. And then we looked at our participation in God's salvation, but then finally, the last two verses. They come into the promise, the promise of God's blessing. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before him and will make his footsteps into a way. You know, the Lord is good and we have tasted his goodness. We've tasted his pleasure. The song, He is a Good, Good Father, that's who he is. And that's a good thing for us, a thought for us to remember, to grasp onto, and to hold on. He will give us good gifts. And just as Walt said in those previous verses in 11, truth sprouts from the earth. Here again, we see our land will yield its produce. The scriptures tell us that rain falls on the wicked as well as the righteous. The land will come forth. It will sprout. And then we once again, we see righteousness. We've seen that repeated. That word righteousness has been repeated here in three verses run right after the other, but righteousness will go before him. Oh, that we would choose to walk the path of righteousness, that that would be the choice. And as we follow him, as we walk with him, and that whole idea that he will make his footsteps into a way, God's righteousness is rich, And as we walk in his footsteps, he creates that righteous pathway for his people.
1: So now having looked at this psalm, we really get to a part of our discussions together, which is really crucial. Um, the Word of God says that we're not to be hearers only, but we're to be doers of the Word. And so it's not just good enough to to us have head knowledge of all these things. It must transform our hearts, and then it must be lived out through our lips and our hands. Um, these truths that are woven together in Psalm 85, I need to apply them to my heart. And how, how do I do this? How do I apply some of the truths from this psalm to my to my heart? Um, first of all, the writer's asking, God to revive his people, to bring them back to spiritual life. And he's reminded that God is capable of reviving, and he still is capable of reviving nations and individuals and families and churches. He still can do that. Um, He can pour out his love on us, and that renews our love for him. If you sense that you need revival in your church, in your family, or even in your own personal spiritual life, Go to God and ask Him to give you a fresh touch of His love.
0: And I think even just reading through this psalm, meditating on it would be a good step to... Think about that and ask God to renew that in your heart.
1: And sometimes we even talk about praying through this psalm and and, and and putting your own name in there and saying, yes, God, there's times when I struggle with obedience. Yes, time, God, there's times I struggle with worship. And then this aspect of mercy, truth, and righteousness and peace being experienced by people who have been revived If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've been born again, which is what the Scripture says, um, I would encourage you to, to just write those four words down, mercy, truth, righteousness, and peace, and do a word study on them and pray about them and journal on what God did through Jesus Christ to purchase our salvation.
0: So Psalm 85 has brought us before the Lord It has directed us in praise to the Lord. It has led us in prayer for revival and renewal. This psalm has called us to participate in God's salvation, and this psalm gives us the promise of God's blessing. Until our next time together, may you continue to walk with God. Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord for The Awakening in America and Outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library.